Hey, good morning. How is everybody? Good. Hey, excited to worship with you guys this morning. If you will, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll get there in a moment uh, before we dive into the scriptures and continue worshiping there. I do, uh, as Adam mentioned, I uh, want to update you a little bit on what's going on uh, at Chelsea. Uh, so I used to walk in this room every single Sunday. Uh, this is a place I, I called home specifically for so many years. Uh, when I finished seminary in 2014, uh, I started here at Double Oak. Uh, and, and I was the connections pastor here. And so mostly what that meant was standing in the commons every Sunday and greeting folks and meeting folks and getting to know the people of our church. And it's because of that great benefit that I have relationships with so many of you still uh, that are in this room, in this place. And I'm so thankful to not only now be a part of Double Oak at Chelsea, but to have been uh, just grown in ministry and, and had the experience I've had to connect to folks here on our Mount Laurel campus. Uh, as Adam said, a couple of years ago, uh, I went out to our Chelsea campus and, and have since been the campus pastor there. Uh, I know a number of us have been thinking about and talking about what life is like as one church on two campuses, specifically over the past few months. We've had a ton of meetings and information and questions and things that we're presenting as we walk through what our church structure looks like as we move forward. I just want to give you a little bit of brief insight today into, into who uh, God is forming us into and what we're doing. Um, we started worshiping as Double Oak Community Church Chelsea uh, in, I guess, July of 2018. It's hard to believe that it's been that long, getting close, running up to five years. That's wild, right? Uh, we started meeting at Chelsea Park Elementary School. The vision was uh, from, from our elders uh, that, that God was doing something in our midst to grow us and to take the opportunity to go into the Chelsea area and to minister to and, and meet the needs of folks who could hear the gospel in that area. And it was an incredible privilege and honor to be a part of that formation and seeing that start. Just a couple of years ago, November of 20, not even quite two years yet, November of 20, uh, the building was completed at Chelsea. And so we began worshiping in that place where we are at 101 Chelsea Park Drive, right across the street from the clock tower in Chelsea. Started that in November of 2020. And God's done incredible things uh, from the, the 175, 200-ish people uh, that began worshiping in the school. God has grown us to, to somewhere between the neighborhood of you know, 475 and 550 every single week. Often, oftentimes more. Last week on Easter Sunday, a thousand people came and worshiped at the Chelsea campus. That's an incredible thing, right? But the, I think this is one of the most beautiful things about that. There are so many of you who have given, obedient to the Lord, desirous to see the gospel go forth in our area. You never set foot in that place. Never been in it. And yet have continually, faithfully given through our Multiply campaign to see the gospel go forth. That's an incredible thing. So I, I want to encourage you and thank you. And in a very scriptural way, Paul would do this when he would write in letters and epistles to others. He would say, I thank my God every time I remember you. All these churches to whom he writes, he describes with deep thankfulness what wells up in his heart when he thinks of them. You need to know that not only myself, but the people that are a part of this place, thank God every time they remember you. You. Because of what you've done 
and how obedient you've been to the Lord and what God has done in our midst. So this morning, I, one of my greatest joys to be here, and this would be enough, just, just say thank you for, for following what our elders believe is God's will for our community and our area. So on behalf of the folks at Chelsea, we want to say thank you. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting to build uh, a great community of people. God is, is calling us uh, to be a gospel people, people who believe in the gospel, who live in its reality, and who live out the gospel uh, for others. Um, this morning, I want to say thank you. I'm deeply excited to share that with you. I want to take a moment before we enter uh, the text this morning and pray together. So if you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have done great things, truly. Great things in our midst and... Father, I've, I've had a front row seat to see all that you were doing in our community because of the faithfulness of the church. Father, people that have experienced the great things that you've done in their life, Father, who've experienced the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and have been so convinced and so compelled of your gospel that they have faithfully given in order that others might know your son Jesus as well. So, Father, for these people, I'm deeply thankful. God, would you continue to bless this place? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1 today, uh, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 4. That's going to be the main text, but we'll have some other texts as well. But 1 John, if you've got your Bible with you, chapter 1, we'll put it on the screen uh, in a moment, but 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Um, you know, I, I think it was really, really helpful for Stephen to talk this morning about not only the things that, that have been done, the great things that God's done, and also the reality of the pain often we walk through and not mitigate that. Um, life's a funny thing uh, because no matter where we are in life, it almost always seems like we're looking toward what's next. What's the next step? What's the next thing I do? I, we, we, our family went on vacation for spring break. Me and I took the girls on a trip for spring break. Got back, I think it was like three days. I was like, I'm kind of ready to do that again. I want to go on vacation again, right? The weather's starting to get nice. It's fun. Look, there are all of these things that we long to do quite often. So much of our life is built upon, is framed by what's next. I've got this beautiful, evil invention in my life called a calendar. Do you guys have these things? It tells me where to go and what to do, and there's always something coming. It feels like it never slows down. Adam and I do this weird thing on Sunday afternoons where we come home from church and rest, and everybody's like, man, that's got to be great. So you, you really get to rest, and you know what we start thinking? Hey, what's next? What about next Sunday? And what about the Sunday after that? And what about that? We're these kind of people that continually think of what's next. We're always in search of the next thing. This is so evident in my life because Mia and I have a six-year-old little girl and a four-year-old little girl. They always want to know what's next. So Millie is at Chelsea Park Elementary in our neighborhood where we live. And Clover, uh, our four-year-old, is here at, at, uh, at Mount Laurel during the week at preschool. It, without fail, every time I pick her up, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's next? But it's usually this. Can we go to the corner store? I want a treat from the corner store. Listen, daddy's soft, all right? So we, we had a treat for breakfast, probably. 
we still, it's just what's next, what's next? There's this phrase uh, that I want to share with you this morning that I think will help guide us through uh, and provide a framework for what uh, the Apostle John is writing this morning. Uh, it's from a guy named Abraham Maslow. You're going to be familiar with him because you've probably heard of this thing he's famous for called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. He was this American psychologist, and he distilled it, and I think in, in the most simple way, he really describes the human condition, who we are. And this is what he says, man is a wanting animal. We're always, always wanting more. We're always looking for what's next. Here's the thing, that's the case for us physically right? If you're like Millie or you're like Clover, you want the next treat. You want the next candy. You want the next snack. Emotionally, we want more. It's not just physical. Emotionally, we want more. Deeper relationships. That also affects us spiritually. Because spiritually, we want more. We want to experience more of God. We want to know more of who He is. We want to feel more of His presence. We want to be at that place where we remember the mountaintop we just sang about. We want that feeling quite often when we don't have it, we don't wake up with it, we want it to come back. We want more than what we have. How do I live in a way that is more faithful to the Lord, that honors the Lord? What is next for me? If we look into the scriptures, one of the most encouraging things that we find is that what's next is already right here with us in front of us. This is 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It's 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. 1 John uh, this is written, it's widely accepted historically uh, that, that this is written by none other than the Apostle John. So much of the language you find in 1 John, and even in what we just read, is referential to, it's echoes of John's gospel. That which was from the beginning, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're going to see this as you walk through this epistle, if you read it for yourself. It's written late in the first century. He's writing to the church at at a time when they are preparing for, or perhaps even in some ways, enduring persecution. They're dealing with the evil of the present world, and they're looking to the world to come in Christ's return. And while this epistle, like others, is going to reference these needs, John is concerned with one thing at the very outset of this letter. Out of all of these pressing needs, when people are looking toward what is the next thing that life is going to bring, how do I be prepared for the persecutions that to come, how do I deal with the evil in the world, John is going to address each and every one of these things in this epistle, in this letter, in these five chapters. But he starts with the main thing, and quite frankly, the only thing And it's this, 
He's concerned with giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing to a people who are, are in so many ways. This is a circular letter that John writes. This is a letter that is not just for, for one church, but it's actually for a number of churches in this area. This is a letter, this is a writing that would have been distributed throughout the area to a number of different church gatherings and local church groups. And he says to them, to all of them, to all of these young and fledgling in so many ways churches, he says, this is the most important thing. This is the primary concern that all of life, present reality, and, and everything that's next is bound up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what he writes. He says this in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. This incredible event. An event that changed the course of the world. An event that happened by the very hand of the one who formed and created the world itself. John describes this incredible moment that he experiences and calls us to and calls the church into and draws us into to help us experience that same reality. Look at what he's doing here. He's saying, this is Jesus who we've heard, who we've seen, who we've looked upon and touched. I want you to look at the beautiful thing that he does when he reminds believers of the most important thing. And truly, it's the knowledge of, the trust of, the understanding, the trustworthiness of who Jesus is and what he's done. And he gives us this real sense and these affirming words that help us believe in and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does he say? He says, that which we have seen. So we're talking about encountering the faculties that we use to perceive things to be real. He says, look, I've seen this Jesus. I've heard him. I've audibly heard his voice. The next thing it says is that he describes that Jesus has been looked upon by him and the other disciples. What does that mean? Do you ever, did you ever grow up and you had these family events and these functions? Uh, and some of you are, are guilty of this. Some of you are this person right now. But, but that uh, grandmothers that would come and they would come and they would just kind of grab your cheeks like this. And they would just like say, let me get a good look at you, right? Just pull you up real close. That's what, in essence, that's what this means. Looked upon, not just seen at a distance, but held close. Deeply, deeply close. And the evidence of that is next, and that he says that he's touched with our own hands. This is beautiful because John not only gives us this progression of knowledge, he gives us this perfection of knowledge and understanding who Jesus was relative to our senses. So Jesus has been seen, he's been heard, and he's been touched. And you might say, well, you're leaving a few out. There's also smell and taste. In John chapter 21, after Jesus' resurrection, you find this story of Peter deciding to go out to fish at night. He goes to fish, doesn't catch anything. Early in the morning, Jesus is on shore. And he calls out to them. They don't recognize him. And he says, have you caught anything? And they say, no. 
He says, why don't you throw your net over the other side? Miraculously, on the other side, Peter and the disciples who are with him, they pull in 153 fish, so much that the net almost can't carry them. And Jesus invites them to come to the beach, to come over and to bring the fish and have breakfast. Can you imagine the smell, the taste of fresh food after an evening when you thought there may be none? Moreover, Jesus has bread for them as well. It's this provisional moment that Jesus creates with his disciples to help them see, and not only see spiritually, but physically in the most human way possible. It's just a meal. Something they can taste, something they can smell. Jesus himself makes manifest who God is before them. Through all their senses, Jesus comes to people like you and me. The resurrected Jesus comes to people like you and me. Look at verse 2 and what John says. He says this. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. That eternal life which he speaks of is Jesus. He uses this word, he says, made manifest. What does that mean? This is what it means. It means to make visible. It means to make plain. It means to make clear. It means to do something so, so, so open that anyone can see it. Moreover, it makes it graspable. So much understanding that you can almost reach out and touch it. That's the way he's describing Jesus, this word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. Of first importance to John, when he writes to these believers in this time, in this place, he's telling them this is the main thing. It's the gospel. To a group of people who are looking to what's next, it's the gospel. For you and I, we're the kind of people that would say, well, yeah, I know the gospel, Michael. I understand the good news. That's what gospel means. That eungelion, that Greek word, means good news. Of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reality of the kingdom of God. I know that. I believe that. I trust it in Christ. I'm here, aren't I? I'm a believer. But the hope for us like the church in its youngest stage and for every church that's ever been, is not that we just believe for one moment in the past, but that even today you and I would dive deeply into continual gospel belief. Look at verse 2. It says this, the eternal life. So often we think of the gospel as this thing that we possessed as a, because of this moment in the past. John is very clear to say that Jesus doesn't just give eternal life, but he is eternal life. Do you see the difference? Quite often, we talk about eternal life as that thing which we have been given, which we've received in Christ. This is true. Undoubtedly, totally true. But the reality is, is that you and I get to experience that eternal life 
here and now. Because of the very resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're drawn into the reality, to the efficacy of all that he is done. So from the outset of this letter, this is what he's saying. He's saying, believe the gospel. The Apostle Paul is going to do the same thing when he writes to the church in Corinth. Years earlier, Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, and he would give this succinct, incredible definition of the gospel and our faith that not only is to be believed at a point in the past, but is to be continually trusted in even today. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are, as present, being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, as Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. There's this incredible moment where Paul writes and he gives this understanding of what the gospel is. Everything that the believer has trusted in in the past holds true in this moment. Paul writes this at the end of his letter to Corinth. And I think the thing that's beautiful and helpful for us to understand is he's running out of time. These are the last words. He's nearing the end of this letter and he delivers what he calls the most important thing. This word first that describes importance, when we say first, we quite often put it in, we mean we're making a list. There's this list of all this important stuff, and this thing would be the first thing. It would be at the top of the list. When Paul says first, he's actually describing something deeper, something richer, and something more powerful. This is not merely the first among many, but it's really of preeminent importance. Of the only importance, not the best of importance, but the thing that is utterly and completely important and the thing that holds everything else together. So what do we do with that? All right, I I believe in the gospel. I trust in Jesus. But what do I do? What's next? This is quite often the question for us because we're practical people. Anybody in here want to know what God's will is for their life? Okay. All right. Feels like this is a pretty common trend. We want to know what God has for us. What is God calling me to do in my relationships? What's God calling me to do not only with people in relationships but practically? Maybe in the outer workings of my life, the decisions I'm going to make as as a husband or as a father as an employee, as a citizen, all of these different things, what am I to do? I want to offer you some encouragement today that 1 John and 1 Corinthians, and the way that the Apostle John would write, the way that Paul would write, these ways that they describe the gospel of being the most important thing, the thing that has to be trusted in over and over, time and time again, These are not the only couple of places this emerges in Scripture. And it gives us this deep, deep freedom to rest 
and not worry continually about what's next. What decisions are to come? How do you get to a place where you can have confidence in these things? Everywhere we look in the scriptures surrounding what to do, and I mean this, and I want you to take this as a challenge and seriously investigate the scriptures, even this week as you read God's word. Every time you see instructions, every time you see commands about how to live, how you and I are to live the, the Christ life, the gospel life, everywhere you see instructions, and we're quick to run to this as people. We're very pragmatic, we're practical. We all say, hey, just tell me the thing to do and I'll go do it. If, you give, if you'll give me the task, God, if you'll just tell me what to do, I'll go do the thing. But everywhere you look in Scripture, you will find that preceding anything that is to be done, you first see the gospel. Boy, there's anything that you and I can do, even in obedience, it has to be in recognition of what God has already done. I'll give you a couple of specific examples. One's in, uh, one's in Romans 12, um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm, I grew up with NIV, so this is probably more akin to that version than ESV, but I'll just say it like this. Paul would write in Romans chapter 12, and he would say, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Because it's then that you will understand what God's will is for you. You're transformed by the renewal of mind. You'll understand what God's will is for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We all assented to this just a minute ago. We said, hey, I want to know God's will, Right? Do you know when it starts? It doesn't start with offering your bodies in view, or it doesn't start with offering your bodies. It doesn't start with being a living sacrifice right up front. What does it start with? In view of God's mercy. It starts with the gospel. Everything that you and I are called to in life, every next step, everything that we do next is a result of the reality of what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. That ought to give us deep hope. That ought to give us deep freedom to understand that I can come back to again and again. I can draw on this well and know that what's next has always been there. For us who trusted in Christ, the goal is not to, I need to know more scripture. I need to be better. Those are, it's incredible. It's incredible to know more scripture. That will encourage us in our faith to take part in the disciplines, to pray, to read. To meditate, to fast, all those things. We're not good at fasting. Nobody likes fasting. But all of those things are incredible. But the reality is, those things in and of themselves don't make us. It's the spirit that works in us as we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he's our righteousness. That everything we are rests in him. That's why we can sing this morning this astounding thing to the world. Do you know how crazy it is to not just sit in and see, but to hear a room full of people sing, I'm never, I'm, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. You, have you been in the world lately? I know you have. You've been on that phone. I've seen you on it. I saw a lot of you on it when you walked in. And everything that's on that thing is just, it's a bunch of people who are hurting and they're broken. 
they don't realize that God loves them. And they're out fighting for an identity and they're trying hard to be something or make something of themselves. And they're trying to figure out what's next. What's that thing that I can do next? The reality is we have hope. Not because of what we could do or what we will do, but because of what's already been done for us. So Romans chapter 12, Paul writes and he says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, to understand God's will, but it starts with the gospel in view of God's mercy. What's God's mercy? What's he talking about? He's talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that empowers us to be able to, to, to true, with true vulnerability, yield ourselves, surrender ourselves to him by the Spirit. Here's another passage, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Anybody know what happens in Exodus 20? Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. These are things that, that even outside of the church, this list of deep and powerful, incredible teaching and instruction is given to the people of God. And you, most people know it. They don't have to come to church to hear it. It's become colloquial. It's become a part of our society in so many ways. That this would be the moral standard. That this is actually how to live. This is what we ought to do. If you have your Bible with you, and I don't have it on the screen, but go to Exodus chapter 20, and you'll look at verses 1 and 2. And I think you'll be like me, and in so many ways, you'll be astounded by what you find there. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. This is what you find there. We all often talk about the Ten Commandments. We talk about what God is calling us to do. What's my job? What's my responsibility? What's next? I got to keep this one. I got to keep this one. I got to keep that one. I got to do these things over and over. Look at verses one and two, and what do you find? It's the Lord that says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt. Before any instruction is meant to be lived out, before there's anything that you and I are called to do, we get this presentation of what God has already done. He's the Redeemer. He's the one who has taken us and moved us from death unto life. This exodus prefigures the, the picture that will come, the reality of who Jesus is and what he'll do. In the new exodus, when he takes people not out of just a land of pain, a land of hardship, a land of slavery, but actually taking us from truly a dominion of darkness, a domain of darkness, and moving us into a kingdom of light. Not just out of a land into a new land, but from death in our sin into life in him. The whole point of this is to drive forth the reality that the scriptures teach us. Before we can do anything, before we can think on to what's next, and what do I have to do as a person? There are those of you who came here today and said, this is what I need to do. I need to go to church. That's a good thing. I'm thankful that you're here. I knew that when I woke up too. I also don't want to get paid today. I'll be honest with you. That's a, it's a perk. It's my job i got to come. It's important. The scriptures don't teach us just what to do and how to be a better person. 
It's not you received Christ in the past, so now, now let me prepare you for everything that's next. You know what's next? is to believe the gospel today. To believe in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. That he truly lived a sinless life. Truly. We don't have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one that was tempted just as we were in every way and yet never sinned. And this Jesus was heard and seen and he was looked upon up close and he was touched. And people ate breakfast with him. The resurrected Jesus. We're called to believe that today. This is the secret. This is the reality of the Christian life. Paul would say it in this way in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He would say this. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so, or Christ Jesus the Lord rather, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. This is what's happening in this moment. Paul's saying, look, just as you received him, from the moment you trusted in Jesus' salvation, what's next? What do you do? How do you live? This is it. Walk in him. You know what that means? That walk doesn't mean to just pick one foot up in front of the other. It's talking about life and truly how to live. You know, live in Christ. Believe the gospel today. That mountaintop feeling that we sang in Jabra earlier. Anybody remember this feeling of coming to Christ? That, that salvation experience you experienced? And look, we're, we're, we're people that deal with things in human, physiological ways. You trusted in Christ. How many of you had an experience where you trusted in Christ and you felt something, or quite often you found yourself saying, man, if I could just get that fire back that I had from the beginning. If I could just go back to that place from the beginning. Has anybody ever felt that way? Am I on an island here? Okay. Do you know what that place in the beginning was? That place where you received Christ. What is receiving Christ? It's trusting in. It's entrusting your life to. It's repenting and believing the gospel. Hey, man, I want that fire back. I want to be very candid and transparent with you. Sometimes we're going to feel things and sometimes we're going to not feel them. Perhaps we're in this place where we don't rest in or feel who God is and what he's doing in our life. We don't feel the spirit because we're trying to figure out what's next. I'm trying to figure out what I need to do for God instead of realizing what he's done for me. You hear that? Not to figure out what to do for God next. But to rest in what God has done for you in Jesus. Believe the gospel. Here's the thing. I'm always looking to what's next. I really am. And I'm not even a planner. And I brought my wife today, and she can tell you about that more at length if you'd like to talk with her. Um, I'm an I'm a, I'm a in-the-moment kind of person. I'm, I'm relatively spontaneous. And yet I always find myself looking forward. I'm wanting and I'm needy. And so many of you I really, really know. 
but a number of you I don't, but here's the thing, actually I do know you, because I know you're wanting, and I know that you're needy too. The hope of the Christian is that more than our wants, every need that we have is met in Jesus. I want you to think to the life of Paul. We sang it earlier. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Philippians 3, 10 through 13. Paul would write and he would say this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Oh, sorry, I said 310. It's actually 410. So I'm going to read it to you instead. I'll fix that before the next service. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's writing to the people in, in Philippi. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And listen to this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret. Of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he uses this phrase, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now it's for another time in another sermon where we talk about how this is a misunderstood scripture. And quite often we put it on our eye black or on our athletes or, or, or we put it on a bumper sticker. And we kind of say, well that means I can win the game or that means I can do those things. You need to understand contextually what Paul is doing here in this moment He's writing this from prison. This is not the place where people write things like this with the deepest confidence that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can think of one thing that you can really do in prison, mostly. And it's just sit there. It's just be there. Shackled, chained, confined. This is where Paul finds himself, and yet he pins, by, carried along by the Spirit, he pins these incredible words. He says, I can do all things, and this is the position he's in. You want to talk about a guy trying to figure out what's next? What's coming after this? It, he's not concerned about it. This is what he says. That I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How can he say that as he writes from prison? And it's not because he's got a good escape plan. It's not. Truly. You look down at the end of the letter, he's not saying, hey, circulate this to this and try to find, hey, I, I think we've got some buddies that, that have a political alliance over here, and if we could just get this before the governor, I think we could get out. That's not what he's doing. He's content, and then he would write this in chapter 4, verse 19. He would say, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why can he do this? Because he believes wholeheartedly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that that shapes everything. That the gospel is good news. It is everything for him. So it matters above and beyond any circumstance where he is. High, low, abundance, need. I want more. I need more. I'm unsatisfied. I've had more than I could have ever had before, but yet I'm still wanting. It doesn't matter. He's completely content because he believes in the gospel. Um, I, I mentioned earlier... Um, about Abraham Maslow, uh, and this, or Maslow, rather, and this thing called his hierarchy of needs. Is anybody familiar with this? I think a number of us uh, probably are. I'm going to read it to you. There's these, there's these five levels, essentially, uh, to this, and, and here's what they are. All right, the first 
uh, needs that human beings have. The first is physiological needs. So air, water, food, shelter, clothing. The second one is safety. So personal security, employment, resources, health, property. Three, love and belonging. Friendship, intimacy, family, connection. Four, esteem, respect, status, recognition, strength, freedom. And fifth, self-actualization. This is the desire to become the most one can be. I'm a person who's wanting. I'm a person who's needy. I know that you are too. Perhaps even as believers, we come to this place the week after Easter and we say, I believe in the resurrected Son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. That he rose on the third day. All of these things would Paul write. I concur with it. I believe it in accordance with the scriptures. Not only this, but he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And these 500 others, these folks, some of whom, even when Paul writes this, are still alive. I believe this. I want to give you some encouragement that speaks to your needs and what you have coming next. After I believe the resurrection, what's next? What do I do next? My encouragement to you today would be this. This is the point of application. You want to go do something? Here's what I urge you to do. Believe in the gospel. For the hundredth time, for the thousandth time, I don't want to say millionth because I don't think anybody's that aged in this place. But again and again, come back to, rest in, trust in what God has done for you before you move on to what's next. Here's what, uh, here's what Maslow's hierarchy of needs are. One, physiological needs. Air, water, food, shelter, clothing. You already said that, Michael. You're right. But I want to tell you about how the gospel speaks to this need. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 26. Jesus would write in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he would say, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God meets every physiological need that we have. Second, safety, personal security. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things to come, whatever's next, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three, love and belonging, friendship, intimacy. First John chapter 3, verse 1, John would write this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And remember these powerful words that Jesus writes to his friends. Or speaks, rather, to his friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. That's love. Esteem, respect, status, recognition, strength, freedom. This other thing that, that builds upon this that we need. What does it look like to have status, to have respect in the Christian life? This is it, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you recognize the power of that? 
because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we repent and believe the gospel. It's, it literally sounds like I cannot say this out loud, like I shouldn't be allowed to say this. But Paul would say, I am what I am, so I'm just going to tell you the truth. This is it. Jesus' brother, right here, you're looking at him. And you're his brother or sister too if you've trusted in him. Co-heir with Christ Jesus. What place could there be more esteem? And then finally, self-actualization. Maslow, when he talks about these people who are needy, who are always desiring something, he says this, that we desire to become the most one can be. And here's the reality of the gospel. I have nothing. My righteousness is filthy rags. I have nothing to give to God. But the beautiful, incredible thing is, is that the culmination, the peak of the pyramid, the peak of life, is not for me to figure out the next thing I need to ple- I can do to please God or what's next. The beauty of life is that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. That's the gospel. I wasn't like struggling and I needed to kind of do better. Ephesians would tell us that you and I were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Dead. Not like he needs to shape up a little bit or there's some things to work on. Let's circle back, right? Not that. Dead. And yet made alive in Christ. That is the gospel. We all want what's next. But we need to remember that quite often the goal of our faith is not always to learn something new, but it's to remember something old. And this is the truth of the scriptures, that we would in every sense, in every circumstance, in every place, seek to deepen our relationship with God. Not by the next thing that we do, but recognizing what he has already done for us. This is our hope. For Resurrection Sunday, for today, the Sunday that follows, and every next moment of your life and mine, this is the hope. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. May that be our hope, even as we wrestle with and look toward what's next. I want to invite our worship team to come, and if you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is our hope that we would rest in, that we would trust in, that we would truly believe the gospel. Not surely, Father, for a moment in the past, but that even in this moment, we would see that we are being saved, that you are working in us. God, that you're making all things new even in these moments. God, cause us to rest in, to trust in, to believe in the gospel. Father, this is the secret. That we might know you more. Help us to believe in all that you've done for us in Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning, as, as we're led uh, in worship, I would encourage you. Uh, Dave's going to be here uh, to, to receive folks. Um, would you come? It's been a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, I can think of no greater joy than to sit and sing and believe the gospel alongside you. So let's worship together.